Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Back to the podcast. Before we get into healing spiritual wounds with Carol Merritt, let me tell you about the Missions Resource Network. They're an organization that's about helping disciples make disciples worldwide. So if you're someone who's looking for missionary preparation, missionary care, help equipping churches for missions, maybe through something like coaching, labs, vision, strategy processes, and more, or maybe you just need help connecting mission work around the globe to your local context, mrnet.org is a website you need to go visit to hear from our friends at the Missions Resource Network. And they're also an organization that has some focus on following God's lead to cast vision and develop collaborative strategies for the exciting opportunities to care for and share the gospel with the refugees who have settled around the Mediterranean rim. So, if mobilizing, equipping, preparing, and caring is something that you are interested in, MRN, Missions Resource Network, is the place to go. So go check out mrnet.org for more. And now let's talk with our friend, Carol. All right, friends, uh, I've got my new best friend uh, on the line right now from Tennessee, a fellow Enneagram 7. So guys, get ready for some double awesomeness. Carol, welcome. That's Carol Merritt. Right. Do I need you. to say like like the full Carol all, Howard Merritt? All three names. Don't hold back. All it seems names. like when you go three names, it's like, I'm really smart. Like that's really what that third name is signifying. Well, you know, I can Google. I can be Googleable now. Like if, yeah. if I'm Carol Merritt, I'm some sort of, um, I don't know, like... I think it's a dog trainer. Yeah, right, right. It's a dog trainer, I have, yeah. I won high school races, the 50-yard hmm. run or something. Yeah, but, which which is as important. I mean, 50-yard dashes are pretty important. Sure, You're, sure. You've written a few books. Those are important as well. Um, do you know what, know what else? We're clearly best friends. Do you know who our third best friend is that I, I know now because of the, the book? Uh, Becca that? Stevens. Becca Stevens. Oh, yeah. She's great. Fabulous. Yeah. And, and uh, so I, I always keep this. This is a virtual. In, in case people are watching this, I always have my Thistle Farms lotion right next to my desk just in case uh, I have really, dry skin. You really did read the book. So I yeah, talk about like, Thistle Farms and, and Becca. And that's not even like in the first chapter, too. <laughs> Did, how much, okay, when, when you first talked to me, we've been talking for years now, we've been best friends since <laughs> 11 minutes ago. When, two minutes in this conversation, how many pages of your book did you assume that I actually read? Um, maybe the first chapter and the last chapter in the table of contents. I've a done two chapter read on yeah. table of contents. <laughs> but I'm impressed because now yeah. you have proven, you know, at least I really, at least I randomly chapters. picked chapter seven or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. No, I, so you're, uh, the publicist that you're working with, uh, I email and set this up and she says, Hey, do you want me to send you a, a press packet? And I was, I want to say, I've, so I get books, like I have a stack of books that have just come in, um, mm-hmm. and they all have like the, the press, like the two-page description, and I've never actually read one of those. I really, I, I don't care to read, like I don't, honestly, if they're saying, hey, ask me about these things, I don't do the podcast for me to tell you questions that you want me to ask. I'm asking you questions of things that I'm really interested in, and that's the only reason we're talking, because I have interest in the subject matter of your book. Well, that's the great thing about a podcast, isn't it? You read a book, and then all of a sudden you can 
have just, an excuse to call the author up. That's, that's exactly right. And, and now I've got your number, and so I could stalk you, which I'm not going to, but I'm just saying, like, there are a bunch of options. Like, I can talk to you about this. I could sell your book on eBay. Um, yeah. Or we just do a podcast. And I feel like that's probably what we should focus on today. Uh, probably, yeah, yeah. Now, okay, this is the transition. Uh, do we need to say, like, you're a Presbyterian minister, you live in Tennessee, you went to <laughs> seminary in Austin, Texas, Texas forever. Yeah. What was your favorite thing about Austin, Texas? Um, margaritas and queso. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the best. It's amazing. Yes. And yeah, that's... so our seminary is close to Trudy's and I don't know, all sorts of places where you could mm-hmm. drink a margarita and you could get home. Yeah. I mean the good combination. Getting home margaritas and chips or I'm not a big queso guy, I'm more of a guacamole guy, but all of those things are very important. I can't eat queso now, really, because, like, once you get to a certain age, you're just really not burn all that cheese fat in the same yeah. way. So, yeah, yeah, but I still love it. Well, good for you. I and do. Yeah. I would offer you some queso. Um, Torchy's Taco is right next to our church building, and they have well-loved queso. We'll talk oh, about beautiful. that next time. Beautiful. <clears throat> All right. Speaking of church, let's talk about healing spiritual wounds. That was a transition right there. Um, your book's about healing spiritual wounds. That's actually the title of it. Uh, do you think that actually is a problem for people? Do you think anyone's ever been hurt by a religious community? I don't know if it has. Is that true? They, that they do exist? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it seems like everywhere, right? I mean, you can't be a pastor without um, finding somebody who walks into your into your church because they've been damaged by another church, or you meet people all the time and you tell them you're a pastor and it suddenly triggers all this stuff for them. So they begin telling you about um, how difficult things were, and uh, it's a, it's almost an occupational hazard, right? It's it's a little bit uh, depressing sometimes. Yeah, we. I, I met a person who showed up at our service a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I introduced myself, talked to him. Following week, he told a story that he said the previous Sunday, the last time uh, I saw him, the first time I saw him, was the first time in probably three decades that he's been to church because when he was a kid, his little brother was like nine, mm-hmm. got up to to lead singing at church, and he had acne, and they said you can't lead singing with acne on your face. And he's never been to church since then. Of course not. Who would go to church after that? That's yeah. ridiculous. You, you can't blame anyone for that. Like, wh- no. Why, why do so many people... Okay, you have a great line. The reason religion... This is you. I'm reading to you what you said. All so right. let that kind of sink in. Okay. The re- good. <laughs> but it's good a good reminder. <laughs> it's a good line. Like, here's a good line, though. You don't remember you wrote this, but I do. <laughs> The reason religious wounds can cut so deeply is that they carry the weight of God with them. I should have made you finish that quote because I don't, I think you could have. Could you finish that quote? I could. Okay. Okay. Let me read it again. The reason religious wounds can cut so deeply is that they carry the weight of God with them. Tell, what is it like? What, like, how do people feel the weight of God in their religious wounds? You know, I don't think we as Christians or we as pastors understand what kind of power we walk around with because um, I have a friend who was talking to her church leadership and they were shocked about the thought that uh, 
being judgmental of gays and lesbians would actually have anything to do with God. And um, so it's, it's very interesting that we go around, you know, acting like the body of Christ and thinking of ourselves as, as the body of Christ. But then we don't make that correlation that when we say terrible things, we often carry the weight of God with us, right? We're, we're, we're acting on behalf of God. So we don't understand what kind of power we have. And also when people are wounded when they are hurt by the church, um, many times it just cuts them right off with their relationship with God. So when you're talking about healing spiritual wounds, many times you have to untangle this messiness, you know, realizing the person who said you couldn't sing in the choir because you have acne, that person was just a jerk, you know, that person was uh, shouldn't have been in the position that he or she was in, but uh, that person really needs to be disentangled from God. And, um, and, and these things happen all the time, and sometimes they're little things, sometimes they're huge things. And so, uh, so we, we're constantly trying to think about, well, how do we... Um, how do we untangle all of that from our relationship with God? Yeah. So obviously incarnation is central to the Christian story. The incarnation of Jesus is a central part. The problem is that God continue continuously is becoming incarnate, but the problem is sometimes the people that, that carry the name of God, that are God in the flesh to people, are just jerks, like you said. And it's not fair for for their own personal brokenness to be juxtaposed onto God in general, right? Like, it's just not fair. Now, it's easy to say that about them out there, but I'm also a person, like you're a person, as ministers, as, as preachers, you and I carry that. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by just the audaciousness of, hey, you represent God to people? Yeah, I mean, every time I, every time I preach, I, um, yeah, I've been preaching... get nervous and shaky and butterflies in my stomach. And right around year 12, I asked a colleague, I was like, what's going on? Why do I still feel this? And he said, you better always feel it. Just, no. just feel it. You know, make sure that you um, have just enough anxiety that you understand what you're getting into. And it's true. We are walking around with this huge power it's hard to it's hard to get most of the time because you know ninety nine percent of the people you meet don't really care who you are, but but those of you who do see you as um, as you know somehow related to God, it's, it's incredibly important to be careful with that, be gentle with that. Mm-hmm. Do you think other people put more of the God? weight on your shoulders than you do of yourself? Like, do you think people are more aware of your position, quote unquote, the power that you have uh, more than you carry it with you? Because I, I mean, for me to answer my own question, like, I don't feel like I'm anything other than just a guy named Luke, but right. you know what I'm saying? Do, do you feel that? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'll, um, all the time get notes back and, and people talking about, you know, how I affected them positively or negatively. And, 
And I just didn't realize that what I did had any importance. I mean, we're in a time in our history where, um, where Christianity isn't, um, it may not have the same sort of gravitas. I mean, being a Presbyterian minister really doesn't have the same sort of gravitas that, that it may have had 50 years ago. Um, yet at the same time, it's still there. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, I think the word you just used a second ago is like entangling. Like let's, let's separate God from like the dysfunction of the people in front of you and okay, the guy in the choir said you can't sing. Like that guy's just a jerk. That's not, doesn't mean God is a jerk, but we, we tangle all this together. And you talk about in, in this outstanding book, Healing Spiritual Wounds, now available in fine books stores all across the country, um, you, you talk about how your understanding of God was entangled with your relationship with your dad. And the way that your dad is described in the book is like he's, he's not winning a ton of Dad of the Year awards. I, I don't know how else to say that. Yeah, um, yeah. You also tell of, uh, I have no clue how to say this lady's name, but the mom who was judgmental of the girl be, lady because of her financial struggles, Renita, is that close? Mm-hmm. Is that how, you, how yeah. do you say that? That's it. That's Renita, it. good for me. It's made up anyways. It's a made up name. Well, I'm just going to call her, I'm just, whatever I'm just going to call her Renee since I can say that. Okay. Okay. So you talk about go. you with your struggle with your dad and Renee's struggle with her parents how can people unentangle that central relationship, their parents' relationship, with their understanding of God? It seems like that's almost impossible. Oh, it is. It is. So my story, like my, my big wound, is the fact that um, my father was very abusive. And he was a wonderful man in, in so many ways. He was an NASA scientist, and he was a... Um, uh, an artist, and he had an interesting and fun sense of humor, and he was very gregarious in a lot of ways. But he was also um, borderline personality disorder, and most BPDs they aren't—they're um, not uh, abuse. When he had that that uh, that fear. He would lash out in uh, very frightening ways. And so I had spent my whole life, as many of us do, praying to our Father who art in heaven or thinking of God as Father. And, um, and so it was tangled up in my mind. Not only had I learned so much about God from Dad, but also this idea of God as, as father was, was just so tangled up in my mind. And so I had to begin to, you know, disentangle that. I had to begin to imagine a God who was loving, who was um, uh, merciful, who was kind. And for me, I don't know if everybody does this, but I had to to really sort of connect with the more feminine imagery of God. Some people are able to, of course, God isn't a person. God isn't, except in, in the person of Jesus Christ. But, you know, God, our creator, isn't, can't be contained in a person other than Jesus Christ. So it, it's, yeah. it's, it can be very difficult. Um, so I had to think of another metaphor and 
all of these things are imperfect, but for me to begin imagining God as, uh, as someone who gives birth to us and, and to begin to reclaim this idea of being born again was, was very important. But there was a lot of things I had to go through, um, such as, you know, uh, prayer and meditation. I did a lot of Taze um, meditations and meditating on God as, as more of a loving force. And with Renita, which she, she or Renee, Thank you. <laughs> what her idea was, yeah, she, she had this sort of transactional relationship toward God. And her parents were, um, her parents had, had put a lot into her, uh, as they said. They put, they put a lot into Terrible her. Terrible language. They expected a lot out of her. Yeah, yeah but it's so, it's so common. So she had been to all the greatest schools, and she had, um, you know, they had really invested a lot on their commodity. And she wasn't producing like, like they expected. And so for Renita, she had to realize that um, she had to like untangle this idea of God's blessing being wealth or God's blessing being financial prosperity from, um, uh, from her idea of God because she was facing bankruptcy and she didn't know, she felt that that was God judging her. Hmm. And, and so many people go through that in different ways and different, different, um, uh, yeah. different avenues, different ways. Yeah. It, it seems especially with uh, the way that your dad acted, it would be even harder because there, there's a quote that your, your brother said that the more religious dad gets, the more abusive he gets. And a, as I read the story, it sounded like his abuse was tied with like book, chapter, and verse. And it, it almost seems like that would make it even more redoubtable to like to to pull those two away. Um, I, I think leaning into the like the divine feminine seems to make a whole lot of sense from where you were coming from. Do you find yourself at this point being able to to understand God the Father in a positive way? Is that something that you're able to relate to at all, or is it just completely off the table for you? Uh, I mean, I pray, like, I don't force my congregation. There, there are a lot of people who do, but I don't, like, force my congregation to, to you know, never say the Lord's Prayer yeah. or, or that sort of thing. But, um, but it's, just, it's, just not, it's, it's just not something that really works yeah. for me. It, it, and there are, what, thousands of ways that we talk about God. There are many, many metaphors that we can draw yeah. from. Um, so I do pray the Lord's Prayer, and the liturgy is very, very meaningful to me. But that particular metaphor for God—it's um, just I, done. I, you, I, I stay yeah, away from it. it's understandable, yeah. completely understandable. There's one moment, and I don't. Okay, so I'm a preacher, so obviously when I read stuff, I'm thinking, okay, can I tell the story? Can I use this later? And right, th- there's a line where your dad's in the hospital bed. And the quote is, he looks, I don't know, was he unconscious at the time or something? And the line in the book is, mm-hmm. he can't hurt me, not now, not any longer. It's okay to love him. I don't know how to, pro- I don't know how to process that. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, well, I don't even know how to, 
okay, I'm thinking of stories. I'm thinking, well, maybe that's an image of like God being abusive and now you understand God is loving so you can love him. But I feel like that story just, it just carries so much weight. There's just something to that, that I don't, I know there's something significant that it needs to be told, but I don't even know how to relate to that. You know, it, it seems like that's only something that who's, who's gone down the path that you've gone down with abusive relationship with the father can ever really understand. And I know there's something very divine in that, but I don't know, what to, know how to relate to it because I'm on the outside. You see what I'm saying? That's not really a question. I'm not really... Yeah, it's... Yeah. I mean, if, if I were to unpack it a little bit, it, it was that realization... When you've been afraid of someone all of your life and then all of a sudden you're standing over them on their deathbed and you realize, oh, I don't have to be afraid of this person. You know, maybe maybe I can like maybe there's some room for love in there. Mm. You know, maybe 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 there's some space for love in there. In there and um, not that I didn't love my father. It just it's very very guarded when you're abused because you're you don't want to give it away. It's very vulnerable to to give away your love, and so um, and so since love is such a vulnerable act, and when you've been taught um, that you can't be vulnerable around this person, you become a lot more guarded. So I was standing there realizing. Okay, you know, maybe maybe I could I could love I could love him at at this moment um, because it, it's just it's just there was just such a numbness there and it, it's what you do when you're trying to protect yourself you just you just end up with this sort of emotional callous um, and and love's there but it's it's pretty it's pretty well behind this um, emotional yeah. palace that's, that you've had to build up just so you're not so vulnerable. So you talk about the, the need that you've learned to stifle emotions, almost as though, like, mm-hmm. as you're describing now, like this is a defense mechanism that you, you had to develop to get through um, you know, a, a tough childhood, tough relationship with your dad. But then you came to the point in your, your journey that you had to deal actually with emotions. And uh, all of us Enneagram 7s can go, oh, I see where this is going. We have to deal with our emotions. We don't <laughs> like this. Uh, and maybe that's why I was like, oh, I like this person. Oh, you're a 7. That's why, because you're like me. But like, that's, that's our sin is like we don't want to deal with our emotions. And so one of the things I love about your book is that you, you have chapters and then you have practices that go with it, which I think is... Mm-hmm. like an embodied spirituality that's not just ideas that you bounce around your head, but they're things that you actually do. So I, I, I love that. I'm, I'm bored with that. And part of the practices that you recommend is there's one with, with anger. And your, your metaphor is treat anger like it's a small child. Don't ignore it, but put it in your place. Put it in its place. Uh, when you're growing up, you, you put emotions away, right? Like you just stifle them. Right. W- what made you start to feel like, I've got to actually deal with emotions like anger and sadness and rejection? What, what made you go... I, this isn't healthy. I can't stay stay in this way of, of operating. Yeah, yeah. I just saw Book of Mormon. Have <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> There's a lot of like uh, similarities. You're in Mormon. My life in this, but they. No, no, I'm not Mormon. <laughs> but I did go to. It's about you know a missionary who goes to Uganda for a mission trip, and I did that. But um, 
anyways, they have this this song called "Turn It Off," mm-hmm. and it's like you know, if you're feeling anything bad, yeah, turn I like it that. Off. If you're gay, yeah. turn it off. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. That's... Like, so I am obviously not singing it as well as no. I, that sounded perfect to me. No, I don't have that. Gay. <laughs> right. I mean, that was perfect. <laughs> But yes, as Enneagram sevens, like we don't like hardship or or pain. Mm-hmm. Pain's hard for us, so we don't like going through that. Um, and uh, and and for me, what happened was um, I had a friend who was she was uh, paraplegic and she was become mm-hmm. quadriplegic, and she was incredible. She was just just the perfect person for me to um, talk to at that moment. But she was, um, she was uh, helping me kind of understand what was going on with my dad as far as disability and grieving that goes along with disabilities. So I didn't mention, I think before, he, he also uh, was disabled. And also, um, it was really helpful because she, one day she came in or I came into her room and she was really mad. She was really angry and she couldn't, she was losing the use of her left hand and she was right-handed and she had already lost the use of her right hand. So she was learning to redo everything with her left hand. And then she was, she was losing that. So she was just furious, and um, I was going to Moody Bible Institute, which is, you know, fundamentalist Bible We'll talk about that later. In the middle of... Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to it. <laughs> All right. The middle of Chicago. So I'm going to Moody, and um, you just, you're never... Nobody's ever sad at Moody. If you are, you really have to hide it, you know, mm-hmm. you have to kind of push it down. Just like you're supposed to. And... Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So here I was. I walk into this room and I said, well, how are you doing? And she said, I'm angry. I'm furious. I'm mad at God. I'm mad at the world. I'm, I'm just angry. And she told me to pick up this book on her counter and it was this um, Frida Kahlo book. Do you know Frida Kahlo? Now that I read your book, I know what it is. Yeah, which, there's like this incredibly intense um, pain in, in this, in these pictures. So it was a woman who had gone through a spinal cord injury and she, she, she did these incredible, beautiful colored pictures, but they were, they had barbed wire in them. She's bleeding all over the place, you know, very intense, very passionate pictures. So I saw these and I was shocked and, um, and all of a sudden I could feel this pain in my stomach and I felt like just falling over and um, it was this very, very intense pain in my stomach and I all of a sudden could feel not only Sue's pain, not only my father's pain, which she was helping me get in touch with. But also, I realized, you know, my own pain in there that I was never really allowed to feel. I never, I was never really, uh, you know, there was, there was never really room for my pain much. So I just felt it intensely. And then I had to figure out what to do with it, you know, after, after you learn how to mm-hmm. feel it. Like, well, how do, what do you do with all that? 
So I've been on this the journey with so many people, and we learn how to um, dole it with margaritas and queso. Or guac. We can or do guacamole. That. Yeah, <laughs> or guacamole. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but I, I just had to figure out how to feel yeah. it and, and just feel that yeah. pain. Um, so, so it was a pretty intense time in my yeah. life, uh, just, just trying to figure out how to do that. How long ago was that? That When you met the lady, who I, she was in a, like a nursing home, retirement yeah. community, something like that. Right. That, that was a long time ago. It was like 93. Mm. And I learned how to feel pain like last week. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it wasn't that, that long. But, um, but I still try to dull it when I can. You know, it's, it's kind of a constant struggle yeah. to, to, um, to, to just have the courage to face yeah. it. I've got some great suggestions for ice cream that helps me dull the pain. Okay. But, um, no, uh, no, I, I think that's just, I used to think that's just natural for everyone. And then I realized the Enneagram, oh no, this is a certain type of person. And I'm one of those that, that runs yeah. from it. But I, learning to sit in pain, I think that's Sarah Bessie's language. She talks about like sitting in the pain. Uh, it doesn't come natural, but that's where you find salvation for me at least is to, to not run from it. It doesn't make, and, and I love the anger as a small child. I, the metaphor are just like, okay, don't let it drive. You put it in the back seat, put it in its place. You're not ignoring it, but you, but you, you, that's, the uh, like the the Moody Bible College experience. No one's ever angry. No one's ever frustrated. Um, right. That that was an expectation that I placed upon myself. Like, hey, I'm a good Christian boy. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm always going to be joyful and happy. And uh, and yeah, that that just leads to dysfunction. You, you talked about you had a you have a friend who was uh, became an alcoholic or was an alcoholic and always felt like he was supposed to be joyful and funny guy. And yeah, that's just it, it creates problems when you when you put those unrealistic expectations on anyone. Yeah, I find that um, people who have grown up in conservative backgrounds often, and and other people too, um, often have gendered yeah. pain or gendered emotions. So for me, I wasn't allowed to be angry. Like that's kind of taboo for women in in um, conservative evangelical circles. And I, I realize there's more than one kind of evangelical, but but um, you know, yeah, we got it. Yeah, we got some, it. Yeah, okay, okay, you got it. <laughs> I, I like sweeping generalizations. So, I'm good with those. Oh, yeah. Okay, good, yeah. good. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, I wasn't allowed to feel anger, and so it was really confusing when when I first got married because I would cry every time I was angry, and so my husband would try to you know treat me like I was sad, and he would try to comfort me, and I was like, get <laughs> off of me, I'm angry. <laughs> But I'm like, get off of me, I'm angry. Because that's what you <laughs> felt like the mold you had to fit into. Right, uh, right. And, and I've, men I've met where um, their go-to emotion is anger because um, also yeah. along with that gendered idea, men have to, uh, you know, it's not okay for them to be afraid or, or anxious or fear or whatever. Um, they have to feel this anger all the time so or you know they may not be able to cry but they can rage and so they they often um uh that that becomes their go-to emotion no that makes perfect sense uh yeah you're a a guy 
a good Texas man is allowed to be angry and and go kick the wall, but you can't you can't cry like that's not that's not an option. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. Right. Um, okay, I've got a couple things I want to talk to you about we, from the book, okay. and I've, we've got to get all of them in. So we're gonna. There's no transition okay. here. I'm just gonna jump into something. You tell us. So I need to be fast. No, you're. We're doing good. We're I'm doing fast. good. Okay. We're doing good. Right. Um, <laughs> but okay. First of all, one of my other favorite. This is. This might be my favorite line in the book. There's not a question. I'm just going to read it to you, and we can move on. Um, okay. You're talking about how apologetics don't work. Blah blah blah. But on the other side, faith is obviously there for some people. And you said this is how you describe. It. You say I work with people who are atheist but found themselves backsliding. That's a great idea. Like backsliding atheist. That's good. I totally stole that off of some atheist blog. Did you really? Because I'm going to steal it off you, and I'm not going to feel bad about it now. Okay, yeah, don't feel bad about it. Because I I use it all the time. It was funny. It was like right after 9-11, and I'm reading this um, agnostic atheist blog. I don't know if it's still around. And, um, And the person was like, yeah, you know, I backslid a little bit after 9-11. Yes. <laughs> I was like, that's so great. That's so good. I had to go back to church because I was feeling scared. But yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah. that would totally be me. If I tried to be an atheist, I'd be yeah. backsliding all the yeah, time. Yeah, like, oh my goodness, I accidentally said the Lord's Prayer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's great. I lo- okay, no question there. I just, I just want to say that. All right. Okay, you, you talk about um, a lady, and now... Now I know your scheme. I'm assuming her name isn't her real name just because you talk about no, her adultery and some other stuff yeah. that's very personal. So I guess you didn't want to put her name on for some reason. Um, I don't want to talk about all the story. I'll just tell you the stuff I do want to talk about from this story, though. Um, um, so she confesses to you that she's been having an affair. She come, like she wants to meet with you, you meet the next day, blah, blah, blah. And y- your tradition doesn't have like... A, uh, a practice to absolve someone from sin, but you create an impromptu absolution process. Tell me why you did that. Well, she just needed it. Like her whole body was, um, uh, you know, she felt this just sin mm-hmm. in her body. And, and, um, and she was working things out with her husband. She was trying to, you know, figure it all out, but she, she just couldn't figure out how to, um, how to get right with God. And so, I mean, sometimes we just need that, right? We need somebody to look at, look us in the eye and say, God forgives you. You know, God's longing in the history of the world is to love you, to reconcile with you, and to forgive you. And, um, and sometimes we just need to hear that. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't do that in our tradition because we don't like giving that, that priest yeah. that much power, and, um, which I, I completely understand, I completely get. But sometimes people just need a human face to confess to, and they need somebody to say, God forgives you. God loves you. Yep. And, and you know, so, so sometimes you just have to do it. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I've grown to realize is that I've far too often had such a, like an agnostic view of like certain spiritual practices that I missed mm-hmm. the, 
like the spiritual heaviness and significance that's imbued inside of them. Like the, there is a spirituality of practices. And I, in a lot of ways, I was being far too materialistic to think that it is just bread and water that we live on and there's not some something significant inside these things. And like, I think that practice speaks to that. Like there is a significance of having someone to confess to and to say, you are forgiven in the eyes of God, you are loved and cherished. Like we need that. Like those things, those things matter. When, when you were hearing her describe that, uh, what was going on, you said that like there was some imagery of a snake or something that was kind of like wrapping around her and you found your body physically kind of like, uh, like tightening up, like you're crossing your arms or something and you had to physically pull yourself open because you were feeling like Mm -hmm. suffocated. Why did you feel suffocated? Do you remember what I'm talking about in the story? Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, there's this whole kind of imagery with Eve and the snake, and um, I try to allude to it later on, but but oftentimes in our theology and our history, um, there is this idea about women's bodies, and um, I call it the Eve effect, I think, in the book, but there's this idea about women's bodies being dirty, mm. and... Um, and so as I was there, as I was listening to her, I was just imagining like this snake that was, that was um, coiling herself. Plus she was, she was describing this um, experience where she was stuck in an elevator. She was in an elevator and she, just, she couldn't breathe yeah. anymore. And um, she was just uh, sort of overwhelmed by guilt, overwhelmed by, um, you know, by this thing that had happened and, and she couldn't breathe, and and so that's when she realized she needed help. So, so I was just imagining like a snake, yeah. kind of overwhelming her. Yeah. So her her um, this relationship took place a lot because she was always told that she was filthy mm-hmm. for for any sort of um, sexual desires that she had. So she didn't know how to have a, a healthy relationship with her body. She didn't know how to have a healthy relationship with her desires. And I think a lot of that comes from that story of Eve, at least for, um, for many of us women who, who have grown up in the church. We have this idea that Eve is a temptress. And, um, and throughout Christian history, there, there are some very like sexual readings of that story, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it's it's kind of interesting. If you read Elaine Pagels, she gets into it, but um, yeah, but you- it it just it just it, I was trying to say there like a lot of us, especially as women, don't have great. Um, great relationships with our body, which Christianity has really perpetuated that. Okay. Well, since we're best friends and, uh, <laughs> I'm not a, a woman, uh, I feel like right. you got that already. Um, but I do have daughters, yeah. um, who are yeah. going to be women one day. They're, they're, they're girls right now. How, how do I prevent them from going down that same path? Ah. Uh. That's good. I mean, I think just realizing this is really hard for for a lot of dads, but realizing that um, we're human, we're biologically made up so that we have desires and and 
We act okay, I don't them. like this Substance already. I don't like this already. Yeah, we, I know. Okay. Maybe we should frame <laughs> it as your daughters, right? So frame it as Yeah, because I don't else. read anything about <laughs> raising women with my three daughters in mind. Okay, but I, I need to move yeah, past yeah. sort of uh, an idea that says that my daughters will always be little girls. They will eventually be women. And part of being a woman right. is, I don't want to say it. I just can't even say it. But that's part of womanhood. Like that's part of being a human in general. Like that's part of it. Okay. That's right. All right. That, that was hard for so me to wait, say that. So read, read um, Bromley McClinigan. She has, a, she has a book called Good Christian Sex. You might want to hide it from okay. your daughters. Yeah, no. <laughs> You're not going to do Carol, it. Carol, we're gonna supposed do to it. be promoting your it's book, good. not it's like good. other books. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Other books. Okay. okay. <laughs> no Elaine no. Pagels. Pagel. Okay. No Pagel or Bagel. Nobody else. None of those. I, okay. I, we're not doing it. Okay. Let's talk about Moody Bible College. You had an All evangelism right. class, and I had an evangelism class at the Bible college I went to, Abilene Christian University, Go Wildcats, and it reminded me of your Bible class that called you to go, or I guess it was an evangelism class that you described, right? Yeah. Yes. You had to go and yes. you like you had to actually evangelize, and it wasn't a good experience, was it? Yeah. Actually, I kept Dr. Fisher's name, because that was too, like... That was too ironic, right? You can, to have an evangelist <laughs> professor named Dr. Fisher. That is funny. Plus, I really liked him. I really, I, I really you liked him. Professor. Do you think he yeah, would be more yeah. okay with you talking about what he teaches in class than your friend talking about her affair? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope Dr. Fisher sees this as an yeah. homage. Not yeah, as, not a... You know, Oh, hate, but an homage. Yeah. So you, okay, but okay, here's the, here's the move that you make that you're going to, that's so bad, so bad that you're going and you have to do like this event. If you, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? Like the typical, like fundamentalist kind of evangelism mode. Well, you do this crazy thing that kind of switches your perspective on the people that like you're forced to evangelize to. And this is your chance to describe that to us about the sketching thing. Yeah, so I'm not only a seven, but I'm an introvert, which is weird for for a seven, but um, but I am. So I have a hard time just going up to strangers and saying, "If you die tonight, where will your soul be?" I don't think I that's because you're an I introvert. Think I think that's because you're like a, a caring person. That that might be part of it too. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't want to know anything about you except. If you're going to hell. (laughs) So, yeah, so I had this, um, I had this, you know, I I was really uh, nervous about going up to these strangers. And it was really very uncomfortable because um, I would go up to to men and they would think that I was hitting on them. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I'm not hitting, or women, you know, like, oh, sorry, no, I'm not hitting on you. But, but that was mm-hmm. awkward, obviously. And um, so I, I, uh, I started asking people if I could draw them. And I was trying to learn how to do sketches. I was trying to learn how to, how to draw. And so I felt like it wasn't lying because there's a lot of tools that you use. Like I remember going to Campus Crusade for Christ and on a, I guess their crew now – the whole crusade you know, thing. Talking about crusades yeah. is a really smart Sorry, thing Islam. Right now in, in our political situation. Yeah. I know. Like, Oops. What, what? Killed thousands of people. So, um, okay, so you went to yeah, Campus Crusades right, for Christ right. crew. 
Triton. And they would they would have us do gallop polls. Like literally we're lying to people telling them that we were gallop oh, polls. Well, that's good. That's a good place to start a relationship. Make it a lie. <laughs> yeah. That's Right, right. So, anyways. Speaking so of spiritual I, I wounds right there, that. like you think all religious people yeah. are liars. Okay. So, you don't want to do the Gallup poll. Yeah, right. So, so I started just um, drawing people. And it was, it was kind of nice because I could draw them. And um, they would ask me if I was going to the Art Institute. And I was like, no, I'm going to Moody. And they still stuck around. Um, I could tell them, they would just ask me, well, why are you going to Moody? And I could ask, well, you know, do you go to church? Or or they would just tell me their story. Because most people will tell you their whole life story if you mm-hmm. listen to them. And, um, oh, I love this. There's this quote by George Washington Carver. And he says, um, anything will tell you its secrets if you love it enough. That's good. And, uh, I love that. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it great? And he was a biologist, so he meant plants, yeah. animals, humans. We, so, um, yeah, yeah. So the difference was, like, when you're doing evangelism in that model of it, you're not really listening. You're just talking to people. And then, like, it's almost right. like... You, it's like the yeah, worst. The, like officially that, but you're like you're talking at people. Whereas, like when you're painting or you're you're sketching, I don't do a whole lot of either. But when you're like mm-hmm. depicting them through art, it seems like you're actually having a conversation with them while you're doing that. And there's a difference of talking at someone and actually listening. And I think you talk about someone in the book, like, hey, this person needs grace. This person's very guilty. This person, uh, whatever it was, like y- you actually care about the person. It's a difference mm-hmm. of like talking at and listening to, and that's. That's the world of difference. Yeah, I had a friend who, I don't think the story made it into the book, but I had a friend who um, was filling out his evangelism graph, and he walked into uh, a mall and saw somebody. And this isn't somebody who would, like, make up um, evangelism stories, because there's a lot of people out there yeah. who would do that. But <laughs> he wouldn't do that. Um but he walked into the mall and he saw somebody and he went up to them and started talking to them and found out they were, they were pretty suicidal. Um, well, it made me realize after hearing that story that he walked up to a person who said, well, I, I was getting ready to kill myself. Um, it made me realize that it is good to walk into a room and notice strangers you know to to um to see how beautiful they are uh and to understand um uh and 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 be able to communicate with them so that was the good thing i got out of the class is just starting to love people but it became very incongruent with my idea of of what i Hmm. thought god was interesting interesting well um I think we've covered everything that the world needs to hear. I think right. that uh, right. Healing Spiritual Wounds is a book that people will be definitely grateful if they get it. And um, I feel like we've accomplished a lot today. How do you feel about it? Oh, fabulous. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And, and all my best to you and your work. And, uh, and eat some guacamole for me. 
Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.